All right, since we don't have a sponsor, I'll just say that all of these podcasts are brought to you by HistoryOfEveryDay.com. Yep, that's me, HistoryOfEveryDay.com. Don't forget to check us out on TikTok as well, at Dr.DCooper. There you go. Here is the podcast. All right, here you go, 1950s. This is one of the lectures I really enjoy because most people think in the 1950s, they think of happiness and joy and the three kids and uh, you know none of that stuff was really true. But here you go, 1950s, the very beginning of social anxiety. We're going to go ahead and uh, and get rolling this morning because I do have quite a bit to cover. Um, yesterday, we talked about uh, the Cold War. We're going to be talking about that for a few days, getting into the atomic age. But I really kind of wanted to slow things back down and talk about the 1950s, an interesting time in our existence. Uh, it was uh, it was an interesting time. Uh, and uh, that's that is absolutely okay. Um, no problem, Ayla. I am cool with that. Just let me know what's going on. Um, bad dad joke of the day. Uh, hey, dad, are we pyromaniacs? And dad says, Yes, we are son. Our son. I don't know. That's just terrible. These are all just so awful. I need to go back to the randomizer because it seems to be a little bit better. Not really but still bad jokes nonetheless. You know what these bad jokes, may, you know what these are good for? Coasters. So I don't get stains on my desk. That's what those are good for. Um, so there you go. Yesterday, uh, I will tell you that uh, I know I was a little scrambled yesterday, uh, especially I, I ended up recording just for the fifth period class so that they had it. I was uh, out of town at the last minute. Both of my elderly parents, and I say elderly, it, it, they're almost... 80 is elderly to me. They're, they're almost 80. Uh, both of them are sick. One of them has probably COVID. The other one, I'm sure, has COVID because they live in a little tiny house by themselves. Uh, and uh, it was a rough uh, it was a rough time getting them all uh, to where they needed to go and down and, and all of that stuff. So, And they do not have, believe it or not, there are still places on this planet that do not have internet or, as they would say, the internets. Uh, and there are places that still have no cell phone service. Can you imagine wanting to live in a place that has neither of those? It's unbelievable. Uh, and I, I just, I, I just couldn't handle it. So, got a little frizzy hair today. Let's get going. There we go. All right. Well, let me let me jump into this because this is pretty good stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about the 1950s. And I know that you're saying, well, 1950s, uh, that was a long time ago, but it really does set the tone. There are still a lot of people, including my parents, who are alive, who grew up in the 1950s and 1960s. It was a very different time than we would see today, mostly because World War II is over. And one of the things that happened after World War II that did not happen after any other war is that soldiers didn't go home. That made a huge difference. They did not learn this lesson until really the last 15 to 20 years, that when a soldier goes to war, they are in war mode. And when the war is over, you can't just send them home. You need to decompress. You need to have that person have some time 
to really think about it and readjust back to civilian life. So soldiers during World War II, the war, you know, the war ended and they didn't go home. There was a period of time there where the soldiers went and they were stuck in Europe, they were stuck in Japan, they were stuck on ships, and they were able to talk with each other and decompress. It's one of the reasons why after World War II, we did not see as much, we did see it, but we didn't see as much PTSD because those soldiers had a chance to decompress. I talked to, and we're going to talk about Vietnam a little bit later. I talked to a Vietnam soldier, and just imagine this, put yourself in this mindset. He was on, uh, on a patrol with his fellow soldiers, his little platoon. They're on a patrol. They got in a firefight in the middle of the night. Um, two of his fellow soldiers were shot and killed. The, he got back to the camp, got back to the base, and the uh, commander said, congratulations, you have enough points to go home. And he was put on an airplane, sent home, and within 24 hours, he was sitting on his porch. His brain never had a chance to readjust. It's one of the reasons why Vietnam veterans had so much problem. And there's a lot of other things that were involved, but he never had decompressed. So soldiers from World War II did have a chance to decompress. And part of that was trying to figure out, now what? How do we get back to normal or what was normal? When they left, we were in the middle of a Great Depression. When soldiers were sent overseas, our society was not doing well. People were starving. People didn't have jobs. And they come back. Now what? How do what what does peace look like? And that is really what this is all about when we talk about the 1950s. First off, soldiers returning from World War II had a choice. They had what's known as the GI Bill. Anybody in here who's going to go military, you get the option of the GI Bill. And what that does is that it gives you education, free education. It gives you compensation for unemployment. It helps you buy a home or it helps you buy a business loan. And that is really what kicked off the 1950s. My grandfather's coming back from World War II did not choose education. They chose to buy low-cost low homes, and that's where they had their first homes. In the 1950s, more people owned homes, their own homes, than in any other time in our history, because coming back, everybody wanted to own a home, or they went to, for education. If you look here, this is really the first time in our history here in the North, in the North, in America, we saw migration to the South. People moved to the South. Remember, we've talked about since day one, people going North, slaves going North, people going North looking for jobs. For the first time in our history, those jobs are starting to be available in the South. Also, air conditioning is pretty nice. If you guys have ever been to Florida or Georgia, if there's no air conditioning, why would you ever go to Florida or Georgia? It is hot. It is muggy. Uh, it's just nasty. So having that really made a difference. Also, the South was a place where there were a lot of defense industries. That is where we started to see building of uh, defense and tanks and all of that stuff. It still continues today, not as much, but that is why people move from the North to the South. Unheard of prior to this. During the 1950s, all the way through the 1970s, 30 years, we had nothing but economic progress. We grew every year. We doubled every decade our national income. 
people had money. And if people have money, you know what they do is they buy things. And if you buy things, that spurs more business and more business. And when I say buy things, this is the first time in history people bought things they didn't need. Just junk. Also, think about this. During World War II, they came up with this really cool stuff. Uh, it's plexiglass. It's a plastic. And you can make it colored. You can like make it red or blue or green. Uh, you know, like this Rubik's Cube is made out of basically the same material. Prior to this, it was called Bakelite. Um, toys. For the first time in our history, we saw mass-produced toys. Anything before World War II, you got like a metal hunk with kind of wheels on it. And you were pretending like this is a cool thing. Now toys are bought. Also, if you think about how things changed, we saw politics. Eisenhower, who led us to victory in World War II. There's our president now. That really changed things as well. If you look at the map, I often hear about this. People say, oh, uh, I'm president. I wanted a landslide. The people chose me. This is what it looks like when the people chose you. If you see the blue states, those are states that went to uh, the Republicans in 1952, and these are the red states that went to the Democrats in 1948. That is a landslide. That is the majority of the population. That made a big difference because people were very, very popular in uh, politics. A president today only really needs about 20% of the population to vote for him or her and their president. That's not popular. That's, that's two out of 10. That won't even get you to be the school president, but that is how it works. Truman came into office um, because the uh, president FDR died. He ran again for office, and, and Truman was an interesting guy. Truman got to take office after FDR, and the first thing that happened is that FDR's cabinet told him, we got this, don't worry about it, you're just a figurehead, and that was not who Truman was. He said, you, you have a choice. You either do what I say or I'll fire you all today. And he wanted to continue the programs of FDR. For the first time in history, we had a minimum wage. I don't know, what is it now? 10 bucks, seven bucks? I don't know what minimum wage is because people are getting paid 17 bucks an hour at uh, Walmart. But that's really kind of a big deal, a minimum wage. We started to see increased rights for African-Americans. We saw national health insurance, healthcare for the first time. People could afford health care. And he also passed the Housing Act, which made housing affordable for everyone. Prior to this, not only did you have to have money, the GI Bill helped, but you also had to be white. So this helped spur growth as well. And that's good old Dwight, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, <laughs> Truman. We also passed a new amendment to the Constitution, the 22nd Amendment. Remember that FDR was president forever. 12 years. People thought that was too long. Uh, the founding fathers did not expect people to be president for more than four years. Now, we actually have a law that says, uh, no, uh, the best way you can do it is you get two terms or 10 years. And what that means is if you're vice president, and your president dies, you get to serve the remaining two years, and then you can be elected twice. That's it by law. If you hear anybody, and I talk about this in government class, say, oh, that president's going to be a dictator. Uh, no, that law right there precludes that. You cannot be president for more than 10 years. It is a constitutional amendment. That made a difference. 
We also have the election of 1952. This is the uh, presidential run for Dwight Eisenhower. It was a landslide. He was the first president uh, that was Republican since the Great Depression, mostly because Truman decided he wasn't going to run again. So that opened up the door. His vice president was a guy by the name of Richard Nixon. We'll talk about him much later. Not a good guy. Uh, back at this time, he was Dick Nixon. He changed his name to Richard or wanted to be called Richard much later. We'll talk about that a little bit as well. I actually have a, a campaign button from them. Their campaign slogan was clean house with Ike and Dick. <laughs> and their uh, uh, other slogan was I like Ike. That was their two slogans. Uh, times were different in the 50s. Ike was a very different kind of guy. He wanted to move back to conservatism. He wanted to increase social uh, security and minimum wage. Not a conservative idea today, but at the time it was very conservative. He also created the Department of Health, Education and Welfare, and he was the first president to try and balance the budget. Uh, it didn't work. The only president that's balanced the budget since then was uh, Bill Clinton, was the last president to actually be able to balance the budget. But that made a huge difference as well. We get Alaska. Congratulations, Alaska. You get to be president, uh, president. You get to be a state in 1959. And then shortly after there, Hawaii gets to be a state. Alaska, if you've never been there, which I'm sure most of you haven't, is kind of there's nothing there. But it is a buffer zone between us and the Soviet Union. That's why we wanted it. Same thing with Hawaii. The Hawaiians really didn't want to be a state but we managed to get them to be a state. That takes us to 50 states, which is where we're at today, although we will probably have another state coming up before too long within your lifetime. Babies. What do soldiers do when they've been at war for four or five years and they finally get to come home to their girlfriends and get married? What's the first thing that they do? They have a bunch of babies. We saw a huge influx of babies. You guys will understand this because guess what we had during COVID? Baby booms. People were at home. What did they do while they were at home? They had babies. This is what happened during the baby boom. And this was just incredible. During 1946 to 1964, right after the war, there was a baby born in the United States every seven seconds. That number is very low today. We're actually losing population, but the population grew. Uh, we have a, an entire huge generation of teenagers that are coming up here. Suburban living. If you live in the suburbs, your house was built during the 1950s, 1960s, because it's the first time we saw this urban sprawl, people living outside the city. But before this, you, lead, you lived in the city, you lived on a farm. Now we get places like Plainfield and Greenfield and Greenwood. All of those start to come up because people don't want to live in the cities. They want to live in the suburbs. And with the suburbs comes all kinds of good stuff. First thing is that we have Levittown, New York, which was the American dream. William Levert produced 150 new houses per week. That's how many houses were built during the 1950s. It was incredible. All of these soldiers wanted a place to live, and they wanted a standard house. By the way, a house there would cost you about $8,000 if you wanted to buy a house. Uh, that house today would cost you around uh, $190,000, so very different at the time. 
This was a typical house built in the 1950s. My grandfather uh, built uh, a house over in the Farley edition on the west side of Indianapolis. It was usually one story. You didn't get a two-story house. Your living room was huge, 12 by 19. Uh, you had two bedrooms, standard, a bathroom that was tiled, a garage, a small backyard, and a small front yard. Guess what we saw for the first time in history? Lawnmowers people started to mow their yards for the first time and take care of their grass. That was a huge deal as well. Look at the population. 1940, 31% of the population lived in the cities uh, and 48% lived on farms by the 1970s. 41% lived in the suburbs and only 26% lived on the farms. People moved out of the cities. That is still kind of the thing today. Look at this picture. This is what the ideal family was in the 1950s. Three kids, husband and wife, and all white, by the way. That was the typical dream of the 1950s, was to have three kids and all be uh, normal. I say normal. There was, no, uh, there was no room for that. We saw the first consumerism, things like refrigerators, air conditioning, uh, toaster ovens, microwaves in some cases, television sets. All of those things boomed in the 1950s because people had a lot of free time and there were a lot of kids living at home. What do you do with those kids? You got to entertain them, give them a television set. The money we saved in World War II was ready to be spent. All of those people had things. Here is the newest thing. For the first time in history, we saw people advertising for children. So we saw babies as a potential things. Uh, baby food, Gerber's baby food was invented in the 1950s. Similac, 1950s. Uh, it was common in the 1950s for women not to nurse their babies because it wasn't, you know, that's not cool. You got to buy the baby food. You got to have to do all that stuff. So we saw consumerism huge in the 1950s. We were buying new products that would modernize our lives. Planned adolescence uh, goods would wear out. We started to see people buying television sets, radios, Tupperware. You had a refrigerator for the first time. You didn't have, you could save your food and put it in a refrigerator. And of course, you got to buy things to go in it. So Tupperware was really big. Look at that, this big, huge television, 179.50 for a 14 inch television, black and white, General Electric. That was big times back then. So televisions were on the rise. We also saw the workforce change because we started to see strikes. Remember, the union stated that they were not going to strike during the 1940s, during the war. Well, after the war, they started going on strike. So we started to see 5 million workers in 1946 go on strike. The government took more control over unions, and they outlawed what is known as closed shops. If you work for a company that has a union, and I've done that before, you have a choice of joining the union or not joining the union. Prior to 1947, you didn't have a choice. Congratulations, you're in the union. There was no choice for you. That was outlawed in 1947. We saw the AFL-CIO merger in 1955. Those were the, that was the largest union in the United States. That was held by Jimmy Hoffa, which is a whole other interesting story in itself. We also saw the Landrum-Griffin Act 1959 that threatened control over unions, and unions began to decline for the first time. 
1947 to 1957, factory workers decreased by 4.3%. 1.5 million jobs were lost by 1956. There were more middle-class jobs than lower-class jobs. And in 1944, we saw the first IBM mainframe computer, which was also completed in 1951, the Mark I and 44. So the computers you're on today came out of the 1950s. We had these in 1940s during World War II. We used these as decoder machines. Now companies saw how these could work. The number one thing, you guys are all on the internet right now, that began because companies wanted to, um, airlines wanted to make reservations. And that's where the Reservac system came out. And that was the basis of the internet that you guys use today. Cars. This is where we start to see the culture of the cars. Uh, if you are into cars, you are into cars from the 50s and 60s. In 1945, there was only 25 million cars registered in the United States. By 1960, that was 60 million. Two family cars doubled from 51 to 58. The cars that were manufactured in the United States, and that's a 59 Chevy Corvette, 58 pink Cadillac, big cars, big gas uh, it was all about trying to um, uh, spend as much gas as you possibly can. Most of these cars got one or two or seven miles per gallon. Gas was cheap. The other thing about the cars is they didn't last. These cars were built to last about two to three years. Then you got another one. And that was the whole consumerism that we had. Televisions. Uh, oh, the drive-in culture. What do we see in the 1950s for the first time? People have cars. People have free time. They have extra money. We have highways starting to build. People started to travel. And when you travel, people need a place to stay. People need McDonald's. McDonald's was uh, formed in 1955. Wendy's, Hardee's, all of those things came out of the 1955s. From uh, the 1955, 1960s, we started to see hotels for the first time because people had to have a place to stay. And drive-in movies were a big deal. Has any of you guys been to a drive-in movie? Is that still a thing? I know there's one in Indianapolis, the uh, Tibbetts. Tibbetts, is that right? No, I don't know what the theater is. There's down one down in Martinsville too. Drive-ins. Here's another thing too. Drive-ins were available. You have a huge influx of teenagers, and they get to go to drive-ins together. Guess what you had in the 1950s and 60s? You had a lot of babies also being born from teenagers. We started to see the average person uh be about 17 or 16 years old having babies again that was a big deal and the television set that we all love in 1946 there were only 7,000 television sets in the united states in four years that grew to 50 million that's huge we started to see nine out of ten families own at least one television set we started to see commercials for the first time we started to see advertisings for people here are the typical television shows of the 1950s. This is where stress and anxiety begins. Look at those television shows. Donna Reed, Leave it to Beaver, Father Knows Best, Ozzie and Harriet. What do you notice about those families that you're watching on TV? By the way, there's only like three channels, so you don't have a choice. All of those families have three kids. What if you could only have two kids? What if you couldn't have any kids? They all look like they're doing well. They're all middle class. What if you aren't middle class? Watching television for the first time starts to create that anxiety where you have to live up to that ideal. Your generation is much better than my generation and the ones before. If you watch television from the 70s, 60s, and 50s, 
there's no problems in the world, right? The worst thing that could happen is a kid gets caught smoking. There were no, there's no drama. There's no, uh, you know, there's nothing in problem. The first television or the first, the first toilet was not shown on TV until the 1980s. People didn't go to the bathroom in the 50s and the 60s on television. There was no such thing as a bathroom. If you watch television from the 1950s, married couples had to live in separate beds. So watch I Love Lucy or any of those shows. It's always a man and a woman. You could show them in the bedroom, but they couldn't be in the same bed. They had to be in separate beds to be on TV. That created, and my grandparents slept in separate beds because they saw it on TV, created that anxiety. Teens came up. We started to see the world teenager in the 1950s. All of you are teenagers. It entered our American language. If you were between the age of 13 and 19, there were new fads that came out in the 1950s, and those were also targeted by advertisers. This is a school dance in the 1950s. They're all wearing, the men are all wearing suits and the women are all wearing dresses. They're all dancing, uh, not very close to each other. Here are the rules of behavior in the 1950s. You ready for this? If you're a teenager in 1950, number one, you got to obey authority, period. No arguing. You're not allowed. You need to control your emotions. If you are sad, get happy. If you are mad, get unmad. If you are down, get up. There is no such thing as emotions. If you show emotions, you show weakness. Don't wake, make waves. You and your group, you and your friends should not make any waves. So if you're hanging out with your friends, you need to be nice and do good things. And the bottom one is never, ever, ever think about sex, period. 1950s, no. Do you think they did? Yes. 1950s, you weren't allowed to do that. And here we go for the first time we see rock and roll in the 1950s. So you take a bunch of teenagers who are between the age of 13 and 19, there are thousands of them. It's the biggest boom we've ever had in history. They have cars. They can go to drive-ins. They can drive alone with their girlfriend, but they're not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to make any waves. And they got rock and roll. It's a recipe for disaster. That's where we get the 1960s. They, uh, teenagers, Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis, and this guy in the middle here, uh, uh, Elvis Presley, were banned at first because they thought that it made teenagers... Um, behave inappropriately could you i mean think about elvis presley was banned for songs I, I the songs i hear today uh would just shock you would be put in jail in the 1950s for some of the songs that i hear uh, and buddy holly is about as tame as you can get but again can't have that we had started to see for the first time juvenile delinquents kids that uh, just decided to rebel. Uh, Marlon Brando in the movie, The Wild One. James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause. J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye, if you ever get a chance to read that. We saw these kids starting to rebel and say, I'm going to do my own thing. And that's what they were trying to do. And we started to see the first counterculture known as beatniks. Jack Kerouac wrote, Kerouac wrote On the Road uh, with other writers. This is where you start to not conform to society and this is called this is the Dobie Gillis show it was one of the most popular shows in the late 1950s there was a clean cut all-american boy who had a uh, you know his family was a brother and a sister and they were middle class and there was never any problems but his best friend was a beatnik who was just kind of not there 
but still he conformed to society. And here you go, ladies and gentlemen, here are your rules as uh, posted by Good Housekeeping 1955. And I'm going to try and read some of these to you. This is the rules of the house. Tell me this doesn't create anxiety. Number one, women should always have dinner ready. They should plan ahead, even if it means the night before. The meal should be delicious and on time for the return of your husband. You should prepare yourself 15 minutes before your husband gets home because he's had a long day. He does not need to hear about your problems. Um, make sure the house is clean before your husband gets home because, uh, you know, what? he's had a hard day. He doesn't want to see the house in a clutter. Um, always, always meet him at the door and be happy. Don't don't tell him your problems. Don't be unhappy. Meet him at the door and be happy. Um, don't greet him with complaints and problems. Make him feel comfortable when he walks in the door. Have him lean back. Uh, make him in his comfortable chair. Give him a cool drink and be ready for him. Arrange his pillows. Take off his shoes. Speak in a low, soothing, passive voice. And above all, always be a good wife who knows her place. Those are the rules as set by Housekeeping Monthly, May 13th, 1955. You guys all think that's just the craziest thing you've ever heard? That creates a lot of anxiety. This is the problem that you see in the 1950s. And I think this is the last slide we had here. We saw this idea of a modern woman. We saw this idea of an average modern man. The woman's place was to take care of the home. The man's place was to earn a living, to take care of the family. That did not really happen. In most cases, 40% of women had to work in order to sustain the family. In most cases, men had to work two jobs in order to meet that standard of trying to be middle class. It created a lot of anxiety. <clears throat> you watch TV and you see kids on television who don't have any problems. They don't have any stresses. There's no teenage pregnancy on television, but yet you have it in your household. You see kids on television who are controlling their emotions, yet that doesn't really happen in real life. So we started to see really the first mass um, anxiety in society to try and keep up with what was going on. It was just not that good. Also, in the 1940s, late 1940s, early 1950s, the suicide rate in the United States climbed really high for the first time because people couldn't. They just couldn't. You know, you're, you're looking at television and you're seeing everybody is happy and you kind of control your emotions and you see your neighbors and they're happy. And you see, you know, you go to a party and everybody's happy and your kids are going to school and all of their friends are happy. And you know for a fact that when you walk in the door, that's not the way it really is. And so it created a lot of stress. You couldn't provide for your family the way your neighbors could. You couldn't buy that new car like your neighbors could. So it created a lot of stress. And that was really the idea of the 1950s. It sets up the 1960s where everybody just goes, well, I'm not going to do any of that. Now you take all of this and you combine the fact that we know for a fact, as someone in the 1950s, that the Russians are going to blow us up and destroy the earth. The anxiety starts to begin there in the 1950s. All right, there you go. There is what I have for the 1950s. All right, here you go. I want to give you guys one chance 
to answer this in the chat window for your participation. Give me one thing that was invented in the 1950s that you're happy is available today. One thing. I bet you I know what all of you are going to say. But one thing that you're happy in the 1950s. Once you answer that, I'll see you back on Thursday, unless I call you tomorrow for a win conference. Other than that, have a great and happy Wednesday. Make sure you get caught up, and I have opened this lesson for you. Portions of the preceding broadcast day were pre-recorded. This concludes our programming for today. We welcome any comments you may have. Our next regularly scheduled program will come to you at 6.15 a.m.